Hi. Hello. And welcome. This is the first official 40 Ounce Fridays. Um, we do have three previously recorded podcasts up, but uh, they they say in the descriptions those are testing podcasts. They're even like episode 0. 0.1, 0. 0.5, 0. 0.9, something like that that I put up on there. This is it. Um, it's June. It's the summertime. So here we go. This is the first official podcast. We're still going to sound very amateur. Still just up in my room doing this real quick. Um, but I hope you guys enjoy. If you've come through to listen to the test podcast, um, these real ones are going to be very similar to that. Uh, not drinking today because I'm going to be drinking in a bit <laughs> after this. Eh, but expect more of that as the podcast to come. But I hope you guys enjoy it. Um, I also have this music playing in the background to try to like cancel out any like background noise in my room, like my fans going. It's too fucking hot not to have my fan on. But let me know if it's like too distracting. I'll probably eventually turn it off too during the podcast. I don't fucking know. We'll see. Let me know how this sounds alongside my voice. But anywho, uh, let's get started. So quick overview of what we're going to be talking about today. I wanted to go over uh, the Nintendo Direct that recently came out that was going over Pokemon Sword and Shield news. So I want to talk about that, how I feel about it, how hyped I am for it. Then I want to real quick talk about um, Gundam, uh, the original Gundam series that came out in the 70s. The, the just straight up mobile suit Gundam. I've started my Gundam journey. I'm going to watch all the Gundams. I made that decision. I already finished the first Gundam. I'm on uh, Mobile Suit Zeta Gundam now. But we're going to be talking about the original one. And last thing I want to go over, just in like the nerd spectrum of news, nerd culture and whatnot, the difference between keeping it real and just being an asshole. <laughs> just just my opinion and takes on that. So yeah, let's, let's get into this nerdy, geeky shit. Um, yeah, I think I'll, I think I'll just have the music for, like, the intro. And then when we get started, I'll, I'll turn it off. I know that was a sudden turn off. I'll probably just let it fade out next time and then turn it off. We'll see how it goes. But, anywho, let's get started. So, the Nintendo Direct, Pokemon Sword and Pokemon Shield, we finally got some new news about the games. Um, we got the announcement date. It's coming, a release date, announcement date. We got the release date. <laughs> it's coming out in November 15th of this year. Worldwide global release. Shout out to Game Freak. Shout out to Nintendo for hitting us with that. I'm super, super stoked. I'm a huge Pokemon nerd. I used to love Pokemon games back in Gens 1, 2, and 3. I kind of fell off during 4 or 5. I played them, but I wasn't super into them. Gen 6 and the release of the 3DS, like, when I saw that, I was like, okay, I gotta get a 3DS. That revitalized my love for Pokemon games. I love Kalos. 7 Gen, I know a lot of people weren't feeling it. I liked it. I don't think it's the greatest thing ever, but it was a fun time, and it was a different experience. And I feel like, as of seeing this direct, I feel like they, they have a good balance of, like, new things to expect, new changes and shifts without, without being too drastic like they were in uh, Sun and Moon. So, um, just to go over that, a few of the new things we saw, if you haven't seen the Direct, first of all, just take the time to see the Direct if you're a Pokemon fan. It's 16 minutes. It's not going to take much of your time. 
and it had some cool information. So we saw a little more of the gallery region, not nothing like too descriptive, just kind of like shots of different locations, like these cinematic looking views. Uh, graphics look great. Graphically, it's not like something you're going to see out of a AAA game like The Last of Us or, you know, just like those high end, like, whoa, these graphics are so real. But for like a Pokemon game, this is probably the best Pokemon game we've ever seen. Like the best looking Pokemon game we've ever seen. It takes it. It doesn't have the Let's Go art style, but it 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 looks clean, like Let's Go, but kind of more defined just from like the shading aspects and the way they they kind of color things. It looks really really clean. It looks really really nice. Some people are like, oh, it kind of looks like you know the 3DS version. It does not. It does not look like it. It damn well doesn't look like X and Y. X and Y was cool because it was the first, like, core series 3D Pokemon game we had. But graphically, it wasn't all too amazing or impressive. It was just the fact that it was the first time we got that from a main game. That's why we were so shocked. Because all the main games have been in that kind of, like, 2D style. Those chibi graphics. And, well, X and Y was kind of cheap, but you know what I mean. Like, those sprites. Because when you look at um, X and Y, and then look at Alpha Ruby, Al- uh, the Alpha Sapphire Omega Ruby. If you look at Auras, <laughs> big graphical step up from that game alone, and that was still within the six gen timeline. And then Sun and Moon looked even better. These games look even better than that. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm still getting over a little cold, cold, but um. These games graphically look even better than that. People are saying that just because it's something... It's not, like, what we expect to see from, like, a PS4, Xbox One kind of game thing. But it's Nintendo, so you shouldn't expect that. Their games still look really nice, despite not being these ultra-photorealistic graphics. They're really nice looking. Like, that's something no one can deny about these games. They, They look good. And I'm super stoked. So, we, we saw more in the environment. One of my... I'm going to start off with my favorite thing that I saw from it. My favorite thing from the Direct was the wild area. The wild area, is, um, from what they were saying, seems to be, like, a zone. Either, like, multiple, like, locations that are in between cities are just one big area that's in between everything in the world map. And you can kind of, like get to wherever you need to go through the wild zone. You just have to, like, go in different directions of the wild zone. But it's... Think of, like, the Safari zone, but it's not, like, controlled by people. Like, it's an actual wild place. And the cool part about the wild area is we saw from the first... What we saw from the announcement trailer that wild encounters are still a thing. Or random encounters are still a thing. You can still walk through the grass, and you'll have a random encounter. Uh, that's what one some things people were complaining about with uh, Let's Go. They they wanted the wild encounters, the random encounters. They didn't want the overworld Pokemon, and some people liked the overworld Pokemon idea. I personally did. So at first, I was kind of bummed when we saw the announcement trailer for Sword and Shield, and it was just like random encounters again. But I was like, okay, well, maybe that's just going to be a Let's Go thing. Well, the thing, the cool part about the wild area is... I think it's exclusively for the wild area, from what I saw from the trailer. That's what it looked like it was implying. Pokemon are in the overworld. 
So, like, when you're traveling through the wild area, you can also change your camera. I don't know if that's, like, a thing in the game in general or just in the wild area. You can control the camera, which is something new for a core series Pokemon game. Thought that was dope. But you can see Pokemon in the overworld. Like, you'll see, like, Butterfree, Butterfree flying through the air and, like, Pikachu just roaming through the grass. And you can encounter them that way. And I thought that's really dope. And even if that is only for the wild area... That's kind of a cool feature because the wild area might be, like, your main point of, like, travel on foot to get to a new location. And then you can, you know, fly back to whatever locations you had before, like fast travel. But the wild area looks like it might be the main way to get from one destination to the next. So I'm kind of excited for that. And also, the one of the key features of the wild area is depending on, like, weather conditions and time of day, you run into different Pokemon. So sometimes it might be, like some kind of sandstorm in the area of a wild area and you'll see a Tyranitar or it's snowy and you'll see Avalon. I thought that was really cool because depending on, I guess, which area of the wild area you're in, which time you're in the wild area, maybe they're bringing seasons back. So that affects the wild area. Like you'll, you'll run into different Pokemon. So it gives you more of a reason to go out into that area and play because depending on when you go, you can capture different things. So if your goal is to catch them all, you're going to want to keep going into the wild area at different parts of the year and different times of the day to get certain things. And that just adds a lot of replayability to the game, which is something I feel has kind of been lacking in the last two gens. 6th Gen revived the competitive scene, which was awesome, and I love 6th Gen. 6th Gen would probably, I would probably say, was my favorite set of Pokemon games if they had more endgame content. They didn't really have enough. Even the events, they just kind of gave us the Pokemon. They weren't anything special. Don't get me wrong, the endgame for Gen 6 was pretty much the competitive scene, which they did an amazing job reviving, especially with Super Training. <coughs> Excuse me, but I wanted more story. Like, the fun parts of Pokemon games were, like, beating the game and then, like, oh, what am I going to do after I beat the Pokemon League? And you have a little bonus bonus things. Like, in Oraz, they had the Delta episode. The Delta episode isn't even that long, but the fact that we had another, like, chunk of story to get through after beating the main story, and it felt new and fresh and interesting, and you weren't just given a Pokemon, you had to catch it, and do something, like an event, that was cool. X and Y didn't do that. You just kind of got the legendary Pokemon through events. Not uh, Xerneas and Evolto from the main story. You just... The Volcanion Hoopa... Did they even give out Volcanion Hoopa? I know they gave out Diancie. I think they did. I just wasn't really playing the game at the points they were giving out Hoopa and Volcanion. I kind of stopped caring because they're just... I don't want to be given the Pokemon. I want to do something. I want to earn it. Like, even with the events in, like, older games, like Gen 4, like, you earn the event Pokemon. You got an item that triggered the event, and then you had to play through something, then you could try to catch it. And that was cool, because it was just like, oh, wow, this is, like, extra story content, and we're still actively playing, rather than just getting a Pokemon and getting a few facts about it. I thought that was kind of boring and lazy. Uh, and then 7th Gen, the thing with Sun and Moon is they had a lot of endgame events, but they were, like, really, like, just a bunch of random, strewed-out side quests. Like, quick little things to do. There was just a lot of them to do. So it was cool, but it wasn't, like... 
it didn't feel like Endgame. It just kind of felt like, oh, these are just side quests to do. Kind of just, like, extra things. They weren't, like, made into, like, kind of, like, some cool major event. Even, like, in Sun and Moon, the first Sun and Moon, where you could, uh, catch the other Ultra Beast. It was just kind of like, you can catch the other Ultra Beast. Ultra Sun and Moon kind of expanded on it because we got, um, the Rainbow Rocket thing. I felt like Rainbow Rocket should have been longer. It, I feel like it played about as long as you would play the Delta episode from Oraz, but it didn't feel as epic because you kind of just were like, this happened, boom, do this, and then you kind of fight every major boss from the previous games, and then it just did. I feel like they should have had more story leading up to that to make the boss battles at the end feel more major. Like, if you were going to different locations all around Alola, dealing with, like, the team leaders from these different dimensions, and working your way up to Giovanni, they should have made it more of, like, a fulfilling, like, story experience rather than just making it something quick to do like the Delta episode. Because the Delta episode, though short, felt like build-up. It felt like one thing was leading into the next and building up until you got to that climactic point of, like, riding in the space on Mega Rayquaza and fighting Deoxys. That was fucking epic. Like, that was super cool. Sun and Ultra Sun and Moon was kind of just like, this is happening. Fight these, Fight the team leaders from the different dimensions. Oh, that's it. And then you can catch the Ultra Beasts. The Ultra Wormholes were cool too, but I felt like that should have been story elements as well. Like they, I feel like they could have tied that in to Rainbow Rocket to add to make both feel more important. They just kind of felt like these quick little extra things they throw in the game to do. And I think that's where Sun and Moon really fell off for me. I like the games, but they could have been better. So with the Wild Area, it's already naturally adding some replayability to the game and keeping life into it. And you also have these raid missions that you can go on out in the wild, either connecting with your friend's switches locally or online, where you can meet up at the special zone, and you can do a raid battle against a Pokemon, like a giant version of a Pokemon, uh, the, which leads into the new mechanic, which is Dynamaxing. Dynamaxing looks dope. I'm super down for it, because... I like new mechanics in Pokemon games. A lot of people aren't feeling it. A lot of people want Mega Evolution back. A lot of people are like, ah, I want Z-Moves, this and that. I've kind of gotten to the point where it's just like, look, man, they, they kind of have a new gimmick every gen now, and this is just this gen's gimmick, so let's make the most of it. I would rather have Mega Evolution. I feel like Mega Evolution should should have just been the core new mechanic, and then every gen we kind of get a few new Megas, to add in, to throw into the game, because Mega Evolution was super fucking dope, another cool thing from Gen 6, that we just needed more content, (laughs) but, um, I'm kind of down for Dynamaxing, pretty much, they haven't fully explained it, but it looks like there's some special way to activate Dynamaxing, and it's similar to Mega Evolution, and, uh, Z-Moves, you can only use it once per battle, so you're only gonna get one Pokemon to use it on, and it turns the Pokemon giant, like they're freaking huge, and all their moves are powered up, and it lasts three turns, so you have to use it wisely. So when you go on a raid, pretty much the enemy Pokemon you're battling against is Dynamax, but for the whole battle, not just three turns. So you and three of your friends have to battle it out, like kind of like 4v1 kind of style it looks like, and only one of you can Dynamax during that battle. So you have to choose wisely of which person you're going to use, util- which Pokemon person's Pokemon you're going to utilize to turn big, 
to battle against the enemy and when you're going to do it, because you still only have three turns. And then after beating it, you have a chance to catch it. And they were saying some Pokemon in the wild area can only be caught after doing that whole raid thing against the, the, the raid boss Pokemon. So I thought that was unique and fresh. Another thing that I think is going to be like new but the same are the gym battles from what it looked like because the problem with Sun and Moon was that a lot of people always wanted something different from a Pokemon game. We've always been like, it's kind of the same formula. Can we get something different? This, this, and that. So 7th Gen did that because in 7th Gen there were no gyms. We had the the island challenge, the, the trials. The problem with the trials were they kind of felt too easy. They were really easy. Some of them kind of felt tedious. I like the totem Pokemon idea, and I feel like this is kind of like partly where the Dynamaxing idea, Dynamaxing idea came from, because totem Pokemon were bigger, they just weren't bigger to that extent. And they were powered up for the whole battle. Uh, and, and, and then in Ultra Sun and Moon, you could even get totem Pokemon, so that was kind of dope. But, um... The problem... Yeah, they were too easy. Um, some of them felt really tedious. Some of them kind of felt boring. Uh... And the, the best part about the Island Trials were, were beating them and them fighting the, the trial, the, the Kahuna. Not the Trial Captain. The Trial Captains you didn't usually battle, you just did their trial. But the Kahunas were cool. They were like gym leaders, but there's only four of them, one for each island. And I thought they were super, I liked them. I thought they were all neat, they were all very unique, had different personalities. So they were, they, it was cool seeing them. Same thing with the Trial Captains, they were all kind of unique and different. But at the same time, they they just kind of felt like boring gyms, essentially, the, tr- the island trials. This is like, this is just kind of a boring gym, because every time you go into a gym, there's a gimmick you have to get around, like a mechanic in the gym. And you're as you're going through the gym, trying to figure out whatever puzzle will reach the gym leader, you'll run into random battles with trainers in the gym before you fight the gym leader. And that's kind of how the island trials, trials felt, except they're... Instead of a gym leader, it was one totem Pokemon. So you get to the end of a trial, and then the totem Pokemon would come out. So the trial itself kind of just felt like a gym mechanic. And then when you got to the gym leader, it was just a totem Pokemon. And then you also had the Kahunas. So I feel like they were they had their heart set in the right place to do something unique and different that people wanted. Because people wanted something unique and different. But they didn't execute it very well. And I think taking a step back and having gyms again is a good idea because it works in the lore of the series because Alola is kind of like a little back on tech in terms of technology. Like, they barely got a Pokemon League as of Sun and Moon. So it looks like maybe later down the line they'll start having gyms instead of the Island Challenges. And maybe the Island tri- Trials could be an optional thing. Like, say you went back to Alola, they have a gym because the League is official. But, like, let's say Island Challenges are, like, Pokemon contests. It's something you could do, but you don't have to do. I'd kind of be down for that. But, anywho, um, I think the cool part about the new gyms is that they're stadiums. Because, apparently, in Galar, one of the biggest forms of entertainment is Pokemon battling. And I kind of feel like it makes it... Gives it the vibe more of the the anime. Because Pokemon battling is a big event in the anime. And Pokemon battles are broadcasted on TV... People watch them, they're super excited, they're like, oh wow, look at this. So I feel like Galar having that be their main attraction is super cool, because every gym is a stadium, and you get dressed up in kind of like 
gear like you're on a sports team and you go on the field and you battle the gym leader and it's a huge stadium of people watching you're like it's an event and it's being filmed i feel like that's cool because it adds a bit of uniqueness and flair to a battle and then we can dynamax and the because the gym leaders are going to have pokemon that dynamax so probably their ace so that's going to be the epic climax excuse me and the stadiums are built to house Dynamax Pokemon, so they want you to do it. And we haven't seen much about the stadiums yet, besides, like, you know, what they look like, how important Pokemon battles are to the Galar region. But they did say that, you know, doing cool stuff like Dynamaxing and pulling off epic moves gets the crowd really pumped and going. So maybe the crowd itself will be a mechanic in the game. Like, maybe crowd morale will be a thing. I uh, was watching a YouTube video from, uh, what's the channel called? Uh, Loxton. Loxton and, and Noggin. If you guys haven't seen that channel, you sub- subscribe to it. He's super cool. But he, he mentioned way, way back before this direct, like, right after the initial trailer for Starting Shield, he mentioned, like, what if the audience is kind of like a mechanic in the gyms? Like, the better you're doing in a Pokemon battle, like, the more, like, the crowd cheers you on and the gym leader kind of ha- starts off at, like, a home team advantage. So it adds challenge to the gyms because now you have to work your way up from people not really being on your side, to, so you're kind of the underdog in a gym battle. And then the more you uh, raise the crowd morale for your side, maybe, like, your Pokemon gets pumped up, their hits are more accurate, they dodge attacks better. And this is just an exclusive gym battle thing. And then the tide of, of battle could turn either side. Like, say the gym leader gets a sudden boost in morale to push through, and then the crowd goes to his side. That'd be kind of cool. Because then they still be gym battles, but they feel more interactive. Because you got to work the crowd to your favor. You have to make sure maybe you're not doing, like, the same repetitive attack over and over, or the crowd gets bored. Things like that. Like, we have a lot of options for new mechanics. And one thing I was thinking when they were talking about the stadiums being broadcasted was that... If gym battles are broadcasted on TV in big stadiums, then it's very likely that the Elite Four will have the same thing, like just bigger, fancier stadiums that are shown on TV for the battles against the Elite Four. And then I thought, what if they have a Pokemon League like the anime, where it's an actual tournament? And then the winner of said tournament gets an invitation to the Elite Four. My thing was, what if the the last thing, instead of the Pokemon League being the Elite Four and then you fight the champion and then it's endgame stuff, what if the last thing is the Pokemon League tournament? And let's say, like, 64 people in there, so there's several rounds, and, and you fight, like, you battle against people, like, you've met along your journey that have, like, grown stronger, and it's a whole tournament bracket system, and then the final battle is you against your rival, and then you guys duke it out to become League Champion. And when you become league champion of that specific tournament, let's say after the credits roll or something like that, you get an invitation to challenge the Elite Four and the and, and the Pokemon League champion, which is Leon, who is your rival's older brother. So I I also that thought that was a cool touch. But um, and then when you go to the end game, it's to challenge the Elite Four. So Victory Road is even more challenging because it's end game content and it's full of secrets that you can access. The Elite Four will actually slap you up, so you gotta go back and train and hard so you can be ready for it. The champion's not playing games, he's ready for you. It's like a world stage kind of thing, like this massive event. I thought that'd be really cool. 
Because it would add freshness to the gym battles. It would add freshness to the Pokemon League. It would add freshness to the Elite Four and the Champion without changing the system, essentially. Like, you're still doing gym battles. You're still doing the Elite Four and Champion. It's just there's the Pokemon League tournament in between it. And just just bring back the world po- the world championship thing from fifth gen too. Like that shit was cool. Like that was fun. Trainers all over the world gathered a battle and stuff. They they have a lot of options with this game. I feel because because of the Switch, it's much more powerful than any other handheld console they've made before. So any other handheld they've made before, essentially, like because it's a handheld home console hybrid thing, it's more powerful than the 3DS. Is what I'm saying. So they have a lot more wiggle room to do stuff like that. I feel like they can push it and push the power to switch to do things like that. Also, since we now have a switch, more, you know, kind of data, more power to do things, maybe we could see the return of, after beating the game, going to a different region again. I'm going to hold my breath on that. I doubt it will happen, but I wouldn't be surprised if this gen did it. Because I feel like they could do it easily now. I feel like they could do it a lot more easier. I was also talking to a, a friend, a, a co-worker, and I was saying, what if they had, like, DLC? And I know people are going to get mad because Pokemon and DLC don't mix. We usually just get free content from Pokemon. But stay with me on this. What if they were, like, DLC expansions? Kind of like how MMOs add, like, whole-ass expansions to their world. What if this... What if every expansion that came out for Sword and Shield was, like, you being able to travel to one of the other seven regions? So, like, let's say every, like, six to eight months we just got another region added to the game. That would, once again, add on to the game's lifespan and just add more content. We could revisit our favorite regions again, challenge different leagues. The only problem would be scaling the difficulty because if I roll up to, like, Brock's gym, and with a full level 100 Pokemon team, I'm going to smack Brock up. So, I don't know how they would figure out limiting things to a certain structure to still keep it challenging, but I don't know. That's just me spitballing ideas. I've been talking about Pokemon for a minute now, but I'm super, super hyped for Sun and Moon. Or, Sun and Moon. Sword and Shield. Sun and Moon has passed. As of November, we will uh, officially be out of Gen 7 fully. November 15th, we'll be jumping into Gen 8. Um, I'm picking Score Bunny as my starter, because first off, it's my tradition to always pick the fire starter, and I love bunnies. So I was like, yo, this is the perfect pick. <laughs> um, but then again, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. We'll see how that goes. Awkward, awkward, awkward transitioning, but let's jump into Gundam really quick. Because I want to talk about Gundam 0079. Uh, Gundam 0079 is the original Mobile Suit Gundam. It's the, the actual title for the show is just Mobile Suit Gundam. But it, I call it, most people call it 0079 for what I'm seeing because that's the year it, it's set in. It's uh, Universal Colony 0079, and it's uh, the one year war during that time. Gundam is cool as fuck, okay? <laughs> I'm going to jump in by saying that. I've always been a fan of Gundam, but I've never, like, really, like, watched, watched them consistently, like, dedicated, like, I follow the series. Like, I've seen Gundam Wing, 
but everyone born in my generation has seen Gundam Wing. I haven't even seen all of Gundam Wing, but that was the first Gundam I saw. I saw some of uh, Unicorn. I saw the first couple episodes of Seed, but I remember not really feeling Gundam Seed. And then I remember seeing um, when the trailers and stuff, promotion for Iron-Blooded Orphans was happening, and I was like, yo, I should watch Gundam. And I just never did until, like, I played the games. I have Gundam Versus for the PS4. I have a fun old time. I know the game's dead online, but I don't care. I like playing. I like fighting with big-ass robot mechs. Come on now. It's awesome. But um, I don't know what made me decide. I was like, yo, let, let me just watch all these Gundams. Oh, I was on Hulu looking for a new anime to watch. And um, they had several Gundam series. They had like seven of them. And I was like, yo, they have a good amount. And I was like... I kind of want to watch Gundam from, like, in order. I know there's, like, the main timeline, which is from 0079, and they have several sequel and prequel series and spinoffs to that. But there's also alternate timelines for different series. But uh, I was like, I'm just going to watch every series in the order they came out. And I looked it up, and I was like, yo, this is a lot. And the first one wasn't on Hulu. (laughs) There's, like, including films, anime series... In another interruption. Sorry, sorry. My mom was showing me something cool, but um, there's like 44 different series, including like OVAs, animes, and movies. So I was like, "Fuck it, let me just jump right in." So I watched the first one. I watched it within like four days. Like I, it was 43 episodes. I watched it all. I watched it dubbed. I'm gonna say that. I watch anime dubbed if I can because I speak English. I don't hate subs. I think subs are great. <laughs> like I, the most dubs are most subs are better than most dubs. I don't care. I'm gonna watch it in English as long as the English dub isn't god awful terrible and unbearable to hear. Uh, that being said, yo, Mobile Suit Gundam is a very well written series. The first thing I want to point out about that show is it's it's is uh it's plot. It's really, really, really good. So uh, you know, it's it's set in like this world of science fiction, we're in the future, universal colonies and all this whatnot. And essentially there's uh there's these groups, like these sectors called sides, and they're all a part of, you know, the same unified government. But I believe like three of them join what is joined together to what's called the uh, principality of Zeon. And, uh, and the Zeon Empire is like, yo, we don't want to be a part of the Federation. We want to be freed from that shit. And it leads to conflict and fighting and this and that. So you have your classic war setup. I think the thing that Gundam does well in this war setup is display the character's emotions during war. Because our main character, uh, Amuro is a boy that lives in, I believe it was Side 7. And his mom lives out on Earth. His dad works for the Federation, you know, doing tech for the mobile suits. And he's, he's uh, I believe he made the Gundam, or, like, he's partly responsible for building them. I gotta go back and rewatch. Like, this is, this is me, like, watching every episode once and just being blown away by it. But, um... Side 7 is getting attacked and they have to evacuate. Amaro's looking for his dad. He finds his dad's blueprints for the Gundam. He sees the Gundam. This this thing is just called Gundam. There's no special model name for it. 
because this is the very first one of its kind. And they're getting attacked, and Amuro hops in to try to defend everyone. Amuro kicks a little bit ass. He he's he's definitely sloppy because he's not a trained pilot, but he works well with it kind of naturally, and it's cool to see. And pretty much what happens is he ends up joining with this motley crew of, of people that are like civilians that have to be turned to the military, some low-ranking officers, just grouped up together in this ship called the White Base. And it's a big-ass warship. And pretty much they're traveling around, help it, defending themselves, getting from location to location, proving themselves to the Federation forces that they're more than just some small motley crew and fighting against the Xeon Empire. So Amuro ends up becoming a soldier, essentially. The cool part about it is, it's like, he's not only not really accepting of it at first, it does take time before it's just like, yo, dude, you're fucking baller. Like, he has moments where it's like, oh, he has promise, he has some natural talent. But it takes a minute before it's just like, damn, dude, Amuro's kind of crazy good. So I thought that was good development for his character in terms of skill. And also the char- the struggles his character goes through, like mentally, early, in early parts of the war, is really well, really well played out. It gets to a point where he's like, "Yo, this is war. This is crazy," and he's killed people. Like he's taken lives. He'll destroy a mobile suit. People are dead. Like, and even though they're the enemy, it's it's getting to him because he's sixteen. So at one point, early into the series. He doesn't even want to pilot the Gundam anymore. He's like, yo, I don't want to do this shit anymore. Like, he's his mind's kind of already broken and messed up by this. Even when he does have time to sleep, he can hardly sleep because it's just like all he sees is war. And instead of just kind of, you know, sympathizing with them, they're like, yo, dude, yeah, it sucks, but you got to man up. This is war. Like, so he he still struggles with this mentally. You can tell, like, hints of it, like, but this is war. This is what he has to do. And, you know, other characters suffer through this, but Amoro is the main character, so his is definitely put into the spotlight. And it's it's kind of sad to see at some points, especially when he sees his parents at one point. he It's, it's a little over halfway into the series. Uh, he sees his mom on Earth. And at first it's like, yo, he's going to have this moment of peace. He sees his mom... But he's not the same boy his mom knew, because she didn't go out into the space colonies with uh, him and his dad. She wanted to stay on Earth. She didn't want to be in space. So she hasn't seen Amuro in forever, like years and years and years and years. And it's he's not the same little boy she knew, like this nice, gentle person. Like, war has definitely changed his character. Like, he's still Amuro, but it's like, he'll kill somebody if he has to, like... She's like, whoa, what the fuck? She's like, he's like shooting Xeon soldiers to defend himself. He goes out in the battle and like just wrecks shit. She's, he's a little more violent. Like he is into this war stuff now because he started it. He can't go back. He's past that threshold. And we don't even get like closure for that. It's just like, he's not the same kid. His mom's really hurt by that. Amaro's hurt that she doesn't understand and he has to go back and help fight with the Federation, and he leaves. He says his farewells, and his mom just watches the ship fly off crying, and that's it. Like, we get no closure, but we're not supposed to. Like, it's supposed to show, like, this is war. Like, this shit happens. 
and you kind of just have to keep pushing through because they have to fight. You know, team teammates die. There was one guy named uh, Ryu who was one of the, the milita- military people. He was an older dude, but he was kind of like a father figure and kind of like mediator from the for the younger kids. And, you know, since he's a good soldier to, like, you know, the already trained adults on the team, he kind of, like, bridged that gap and made everything a little more peaceful, brought things to an understanding. He sacrificed his life to save Amara and the team. And they're shook about that for a minute. Like, they will never forget him. And I was kind of shocked that he died because I was like yo, what the fuck? (laughs) Like, I wasn't expecting to feel as hard as I did watching this show, but so many good people die. And and that's just how it is. Like, that's war. They just, they go out dying, like, in battle, just. And it's sad and it's heartbreaking, but you gotta keep moving. Like, that's one thing that they show. It's just like, you can't, you don't have time to mourn because you could be next. So you have to keep pushing on, and the only way to really honor that person is to survive. So that's what they have to do. And even, like, the enemy side, the Principality of Xeon, like, a lot of these dudes is fucked up. Like, there is some evil, fiendish dudes, but a lot of them have their reasons for fighting. And a lot of them have families, people that they care about. So when you, and you get to see some of that, so when you see some of these characters die, you're just like, they were the enemy, but, like, kind of respect. And the main antagonist, uh, Char, who is one of the, one of, like, these ace pilots for the Principality of Xeon, actually, I, I don't want to spoil too much of it, but pretty much, um, a different family runs the Xeon Empire now, that's the Zabi family. The Xeon family ran it before, but the dad fell ill and passed away, and passed on that role to the Zabi family, and they want to run it like a dictatorship. And he started, the the head of the Zabi family started getting rid of uh, the late head of the Zeon family's, like, associates one by one, the kids, which were Char, Char and uh, another girl who's on the Federation side currently at that point. They were put in the hiding, their names were changed, Char's not his real name, and... Shard decides revenge against the whole Zabi family by joining that empire, and he was going to take them down. Shard is an awesome pilot. And so him and uh, Amaro, who's like this up-and-coming, like, underdog, kind of natural talent, but still rough around the edges, young kid pilot, have a really good rivalry and clash of, like, ideals. The last episode is dope, because their final fight is crazy wild. And... You don't want, you you want Amaro to win. Amaro is a pretty much, he's a very likable character because he feels really real as a person. He has his dickish moments, but that's because he's young. And you you want Amaro to win at that point. You're at the last episode. You know Amaro. You, you want him to survive. You want the team to survive this last assault. But you don't want Char to die. Like, I didn't want Char to die during that last fight because I respected him to such an extent after knowing and learning everything about him, it's just like, dude, no. No, 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 no. Like, and their fight is so epic. Like, they break their mobile suits apart in battle. They're in their spacesuits, like, having shootouts, but outside of their mobile suits. It ends in, like, this this sword duel in space. They're, like, floating. It's so fucking epic. And, like, 
I, one thing I want to say is the animation is dated because it came out in the 70s. Still better fight choreography and fight scenes than a lot of more modern anime I've seen. Not, well, not a lot, but there's some modern anime in this. Gundam puts their fight scenes to shame. And it's it's crazy how well, like, how the music and, like, the moment and the essence of it just captures you. Like, these these fight scenes are dope. Like, and the, the kills are, like, crazy epic. Like, Amuro's, like, throwing, like, light lances through the air, like, stabbing through ships. Like, his shooting skills are great. The counters. It's it's so dope. It's so dope. Um, this is, like, my raw impression of the show, too. Because, like I said, I've only ran through those episodes once. I definitely will be rewatching it probably way later down the line because I'm trying to keep watching Gundams. So I'm on Zeta. I'm about 15 episodes into Zeta Gundam. And I'm digging it so far, too. And uh, it's set on the same timeline. It's set eight years later. But Amuro, so far, out of the two main protagonists we've, I've seen, Amuro's still my favorite. Amuro's definitely really, really dope. But we'll see how it goes. I still have a lot to get through. But Amuro's awesome. And I feel like his growth as a character was really well done. And everyone's growth on the team at White Base was really well done because they're just like this group of people that didn't really know each other very well. And over the course of all their experiences, watching their friends die, allies die, winning battles, struggling to pull through, like the bond between them felt so natural. Like, it, you know the, the writing's good when you don't notice the character development until after the fact. Like, you know how, like, when you see a person, you, say you have, like, a friend that you grew up with since you were, like, 10, and now you guys are 23, and it's like, damn, this person is so much more mature and different than they were before, but they're still kind of the same dude. It's like, it's that kind of, like, growth, like, the growth you don't realize until you really think about it, and I feel like it's so well done and it feels so pure that I don't understand why people don't like Gundam, I guess because people aren't into political dramas a lot. But it's so much more than that. Oh my god, it's so good. I highly recommend it. I highly, 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 highly recommend it. Uh, I'll keep you guys posted on my raw, like, reactions to all the Gundam series. Zeta's 50 episodes, so it's 7 more than the original. And I kind of have a little less time because I've been doing stuff now, but I'll definitely, like, binge it at night. Like, while I'm typing, I'll play a couple episodes in the background on my phone so I can watch it. It's... I like Zeta Gundam so far. A uh, huge jump in animation quality, but I believe Zeta Gundam came out, like, six years, five or six years after the original, so that makes sense. Um, uh, the main character is not as likable. I understand his motivations, but he's, like, kind of a douche still. Like, he's still kind of a douche to me. But I can understand his motivations and his reasonings and why he feels how he feels. He doesn't have as likable a personality as Amuro, but that's fine because he's different from Amuro, so I like the difference in character, I want to say. Like, I like how this main character isn't the same as the first main character. It's not going to be the same thing every time. So I like that clash. And a lot of the characters from the first series do make appearances in this. They're not, like, major roles right now. But they're older, it's eight years later, so it's nice. And some of them are still, they still got problems. Like, Amaro still has a few issues mentally with what happened. And, th and this and that. 
things he has to deal with. So I like how characters are still growing even after they're part of the story where they're in the spotlight is done. They still have some issues they got to deal with. So that's just great writing <laughs> like in general. It, and it definitely makes me appreciate the games more. Like, I look at the mobile suits that are all from uh, the first mobile suit Gundam in Gundam Versus, and I'm just like, I know where, like, they got the idea for this move from and this, and this suit does why this suit does the. And it's, like, a lot more respect for them because you know why they are how they are. And so it's just like, ooh, cool, a robot. Ooh, cool, a robot. I have a unique interest and intrigue and in, in liking to each mobile suit now. Because I've seen the anime. So I highly recommend it. If you're you're into good plot and character development, you'll definitely enjoy this. If you're into, like, cool fights, you'll definitely enjoy it. If you like Mecha, you'll definitely enjoy it. It's... There's, some, there's something to like for everyone. I feel like everyone should really give it a chance. If they don't really like Gundam, just watch the original one, dude. I know the animation, people are going to be like, oh, the animation... Be over that. Be over that. It's so much more than that. It's so good. Um, I'm probably going to have to finish up a little earlier than I expected, but that's pretty much all I have to say about the that Gundam series. If I have more to say, like maybe like a more refined discussion, I definitely will bring it up at a later time. But real quick, to close out, I want to talk about something real, real quick. Uh, the difference between keeping it real and being an asshole, because that is something that people, I think, either put in the same category or saying, oh, I'm not being an asshole, you just can't take being real. And I want to clarify that there definitely is a difference between those two things. So, again, this has to do with the anime community and the gaming community, just the whole nerd community in general. People really, like, use that as an excuse to be a douchebag to others. It's just like, oh, you like this? That's shit. You have shit taste. It's like, you don't need to be a dick. And they'll be like, oh, I'm not being a dick. I'm just keeping it real. It's like, that's not what keeping it real is, bro. You don't need to be an asshole to keep it real. Like, it's so unnecessary to go out of your way to try to make another person feel bad because they like something you don't like or you think is bad. Why should it matter that they need to agree with your opinion or you need to make them feel bad because they don't agree? Like, that that's always something I found ridiculous and people are just like, oh, you just need thicker skin. It's just like, to an extent, yeah, because some people are keeping it real. Like, some people aren't being dicks. Some people are just, yo, man, I don't like this show and these are reasons why I don't like this show, da-da-da, this and that. But they're not, like, you know, being douchey about it. They're, like, giving legit arguments and this and that. Some people are like, man, you're being really mean. It's like, no, they're they're standing their opinion. But people will use that as a buffer. Like, some people will use that as a buffer to excuse their own, like, rude way of interpreting people. Like, I don't understand why in the nerd community people are judged upon what they like and not like their character. Like, say you don't like Dragon Ball Z and I like Dragon Ball Z. Why am I automatically... Why do I automatically have shit taste in anime because I like Dragon Ball Z? That makes no sense. 
what if we what if we liked nine out of ten anime like the same anime nine out of ten, but you don't like Dragon Ball Z and I do. That automatically makes my taste shit. What about the other nine anime we just discussed that we both enjoy? Like that automatically just like is a deal breaker for someone. You have to like everything that a, a person likes down to the letter, and dislike everything a person like dislikes, or you guys can't be friends. And I don't understand that logic. And then, you know, you even have people saying, it's like, alright man, it's cool that you, f- it, whatever dude, you feel that way, that's your opinion. If you don't like it, that's fine, I'm still gonna enjoy it. He's like, no, it's facts, they're fucking trash, and if you like it, it's trash. I'm like, why do you have to come at a person directly like that? I don't, I don't get that. And it's not keeping it real, you're going out of your way to try to hurt a person's feelings. And regardless of if you do or not, the fact that you're trying, and the fact that you need to go to such lengths to do it, I don't get Honestly, I think it's kind of because you... Honestly, I feel like um, the reason why people do that is because they learn from example. So if they're treating a person like shit because of their interests, it's because they themselves have been treated like shit for their interests. And I know a lot of, like, nerd people back in the day who were, you know, kids my age in middle school and high school were definitely picked on for their interests. And regardless of if you cared or not, or how well bad it affected you, you you might have taken that mentality and subconsciously are using that against people that are in your own community. Like, people, I, I think people outside of, like, the nerd community when it comes to, like, anime, manga, comics, games, all that stuff, they think they see us as, like, just these big nerds that just like all the same things. We don't. We all have personal interest and taste in certain stuff. We're all very different people, and bullying within the community happens way more than it should, and it's so disgustingly toxic. I I will always say the nerd community is the most toxic space, but I think if I had to pin it down, definitely the anime community. Anime The anime community is trash-ass toxic, and that's coming from someone in the anime community. It's trash. It's toxic. It's hella toxic. People be like, no, but this fandom specifically is more toxic. No, the community in general is just toxic. I can see why a lot of people get turned off from anime because the fans are just so annoying. The fans can be such assholes. The sa- the fans can just come off as just like these douches. We're, th- we're the douchebags now. We're not like the nerds that are just kind of like picked on unjustly. We're like assholes. Like people, anime snobs are more prominent now, I would say, than, like, just these kind of shy guy anime nerds. Like, the elitist. That turns people off from stuff so hard, and I know some people think, wow, you're not gonna like something because this person's, like, personality turns you off from said thing. That's kind of weird. And I understand how people can think that that's kind of weird, that how someone's personality sways you away from liking something but you have to understand if I'm jumping into like a show like let's say One Piece and there's I like One Piece I don't think One Piece is the greatest thing ever sue me whatever I don't care I still enjoy One Piece though that's all I'm saying there was a long period of time where I wasn't really into One Piece because of a lot of toxic fandom and that may sound stupid to you, but you have to understand, if you're going into, like, a series, you are now going into that community and that fan base. So if you're looking stuff up about One Piece, 
if you're you're going to want to talk about One Piece with other people, you're going to run into these toxic people. You don't want to be around that. You want to distance yourself away from it. And that's what, like, really turned me away from One Piece for, like, a good few years. Even though I really like the series, I was just like, I don't want to talk to these people. I don't want to be bothered by these people. I don't want to be associated with these people. I don't want to be considered one of these people. Because I hate those people. They're annoying. Same thing with the Dragon Ball fandom. I am a, I love Dragon Ball. I understand it's flawed. I don't think Dragon Ball is the greatest... The Dragon Ball series is the greatest thing ever. I'm still going to like Dragon Ball. Oh my god. Those Some of those fans are so fucking annoying. They really, really are. But people need to understand that there's people like that in every fandom. And together, they just, they just form this cancer on the community as a whole. And it makes us look really bad. We kind of just look like these elitist, like, nerdy slobs that no one wants to be around. And for a lot of people that are like like me, I I, I can I am definitely an introvert and a little antisocial. I don't really like people people. Like I have my my friends and that's about it. I don't like big crowds or anything like that. I I don't go out of my way to be an asshole though. Like I'll be friendly with you in public. It doesn't it doesn't matter to me. As long as you're cool with me, I'm cool with you. It makes us look bad because a lot of us are chill. A lot of us live normal lives, have normal jobs, are into stuff outside of the anime community, like movies and music and things like that. And I'm super into hip-hop. Love hip-hop. I rap myself. I love rap music. Love The Roots, one of my favorite groups. And it's just like, you wouldn't know that about me because I'm, I am I post more about anime than anything, but that's because I also want to write. And so that that takes, like, me gushing over a story is, like, something I do a lot because a good story really captivates me because I want to make a good story. But music plays a heavy influence in that, and I have a normal job. I go to work. I work 9 to 5. I come home, and I chill. I'm tired. I got to go to work again. <laughs> so, And I don't think people see that. They're just like, oh, look at that weird dude that's in the anime. He probably just goes home and has his waifu pillow, which I don't have. I have a girlfriend. I've been in a relationship for like nine years. I live my life normally like you. I just happen to like anime. <coughs> Excuse me. And I'm not an asshole about it. But a lot of people are. And so people like to generalize the bad as being that is the majority rule. Like the bad thing is going to be applied to everyone regardless. Which sucks. And that's how it is with everything. But I feel like it's especially bad with the anime community. It's just something we need to learn to adjust to. And just accept other people's opinions. Even if you are like, dude, objectively this thing is bad and they still like it. Whatever. Let them like it. If they're not hurting anybody, if they're not bothering anybody, let that shit go. Just let it go. You don't need to attack them. I don't... That's the... You don't need to attack people. I feel like, going back to the whole bullying thing, whether or not you think that really affected you, maybe subconsciously, you're always on the defensive when talking about anything to somebody because you were attacked for liking said things or disliking said things. So now that's what you do to other people, and I think that's why it spreads so bad in the anime community because everyone's on that mentality to be jumpy and offensive. 
offensive be- because that's how it always was for them. They always had to be on their guard. So now they're just like, well, I was treated like an asshole. Therefore, I will treat everyone else like an asshole. And I hope that's something that'll change down the line. But I don't know. I don't know. That was a lot of rambles for that like last 10 minutes. But something I wanted to get out there personally. I'm in like a lot of like different anime groups on Facebook. So I see a lot of different things. Anime and gaming groups. So... The nerd world is is deadly, y'all. It's a battlefield. <laughs> Be careful. But uh, I think I'm going to end it right here. i got to get ready to go do some stuff. So um, I hope you guys enjoyed this. This is the first one. It's still, you know, really basic stuff. Um, we're still cleaning up the room, my room. We're getting new stuff soon to be put into it. So I'll have a nicer, like, room set up. So I think I'll be able to sit in a place in my room a little more comfortable and get some better recording done. And I also will look into getting some better recording equipment for said things. But that'll be as we go along. So this was the first one. This is the first one. First official. Uh, I still want to do a co-host thing. I have a couple of people that want to co-host. So maybe we'll cycle through co-hosts or I'll have multiple people on the podcast together having a conversation. I, like I said, I talk better. I tend to ramble less when talking to people, which makes sense. So we'll figure that out as uh, as the as it goes. Be sure to uh, follow our page. Be sure to follow Art Projects page on Facebook so you can see uh, the story I'm working on, the comic book project I'm working on. Love support. The only support I need is just you know a like on the Facebook page, comments. If you want to read, I have script chapters up. I can email them to you, get some feedback. Don't ask for any. I don't ask for any money because we're not at that stage yet where I, I would feel like, oh, yeah, let me get money for this. It's like we don't need that yet. Once we finally start getting the comic book going, eventually I'll probably need support. But uh, that'll be for specific things once we get to that point. But, yeah, man, just go ahead, like Art Project's page. It, it's kind of like the hub world for everything I do. Like I'll post, like, podcast episodes up when they come up, uh, my streams, because I'm getting back to streaming on PlayStation, we did a stream recently on Monday, uh, the, my Twitch is called, uh, Hiccup the Gamer, that's, a uh, H-I-K-U-P-P the Gamer, so, if you want to catch those, Mondays I play, uh, Neverwinter, which is the Dungeons and Dragons MMO, and then, I think starting this week, we'll be doing RPG Let's Plays of different games, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, we're going to be starting off with uh, God Eater, the first God Eater, because I'm going to play through the whole series, I believe. But we're going to start with that first one, I believe, this Tuesday. And also, we're doing more D&D on Monday. Podcast comes out every Friday. So, yeah, we're, we're, we're starting some stuff. But anywho, that's going to be about it. We did about an hour, so I think that's cool. Sorry about the little pauses in between. Um, like I said, we're still early, we're still young and sloppy. But... I'll catch you guys later. I hope you guys have a good weekend, and I'll catch you on Friday or on Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday when I am streaming. Come through. Say hi. All right. (laughs) Catch you later. Bye.